Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Come to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, big show today. Great to have the whole group here. A lot to get to. We'll be diving into the, the great buzzword of culture and the Texas Longhorns in the locker room uh, amidst a very, very interesting week uh, from the players, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, we will dive into that, share some of those quotes, share a little bit of the audio from Sark talking yesterday. And sort of, we've got Texas, uh, their spring game's going to be April 23rd. We still got a little bit more time, but we've also got some buzz from those scrimmages. So a good piece of our early part of the show. We will dive into Texas football. Also, there are some huge spring games coming up this weekend. I mean, we're talking Alabama. We're talking Georgia. We're talking Ohio State. We got Miami. Crypto ball. You know, spring game taking off right after the, what was it, global crypto uh the global crypto convention was down there in South Florida. All of the Miami boosters just just taking it over. We, we'll get into all that uh, a little bit later, but we we have to begin. You know, Tom and I did our best, but Danny Cannell, this is a this is a post game press availability. You know, oh is this my. your first time back at the microphone? <laughs> take take us inside. Uh, take us inside. What happened in Tallahassee on Saturday? So it was a blast. Had a great time. Uh, got to catch up with Bud. Had a couple beers there at Madison Social, our spot in Tallahassee. That was the night before the game. Everything was going great. I had the game plan, which I've still got right here on my desk right here. I had my offensive plays, which I wasn't too thrilled about. Like, it was a little conservative. I even made some nuggets on there of, like, uh, the the uh, kind of the adaptations I wanted to make, you know, tag a route here or there, a couple double moves. But I got caught up in the emotions of the moment. And as every good coach does, you take responsibility for the lack of success. So it wasn't on the players. It was on me. I I take full responsibility for the lack of movement that we saw on the offensive side of the ball. Um, We had a three and out, and we had a turnover on downs. But I will say this, because I, you know, we're getting to call the plays. And I knew that BMAC, our boy, cover three, uh, friend, uh, CBS Sports HQ does a great job. I knew he was going to bring pressure, right? And so I knew he was going to bring it right away. So the first play I dialed up, wasn't going to try to run into it. I was like, let me let me see if I can catch him in a blitz, give a nice easy screen pass, which could be a huge gasher. Like if you get them pr- uh, blitzing and they come after you, that's exactly what you want. Then you dump it right over the pass rush, give it to the back, and it's wide open, right? Or it's good versus zone, too. If you dial it up right, it could be good play versus it's good versus either. So I call it, and Coach Norvell's on the headset. He's like, oh, I like this. This could be good. 
So we're feeling good vibes. It was all set up. We get alignment out, like releases perfectly. Man, AJ Duffy, a little bit fired up, over, like overthrew. Oh, let's just sailed it right over the wide open back. But it's not his fault. Got to give him maybe a more, a little easier play. Maybe should have run the ball on first down. So then we come to, to second down. So I'm like, all right, second and 10. What are you going to go to? I said, I want to throw the ball. I want to see what Duffy's made of. So I call up one of my pass plays and uh, he gets back to the line of scrimmage like in a little scramble. Probably was a sack, but they let him get back to the line of scrimmage. <laughs> then it's third and 10. What do you go to on the play sheet? Uh, we get a sack trying to move the ball down the field. So that was not pretty. Um, second series, again, I'm thinking, all right, they're going to think I'm trying to establish the run. So let me run a little naked, all right, with A.J. Duffy. He's pretty athletic. He can move around. It works well. He scrambles, takes the ball on his own, gets some positive yardage. Good thing. Okay, here we go. Second and eight. Now I'm like, all right, now we can open up things a little bit. We got some options, keep them off balance. Call a little inside zone. Let's get the ground game going. It was working for the other team that was running. And uh, we get a loss, two-yard loss, back to third and ten. So now, again, what do you go to on the play sheet? Uh, Not a lot of options when I have two passes, so I call the other drop-back pass, and we get a sack. So now we're looking at – Fourth and it's uh fourth and thirteen, and I decide to go for it because we're only getting two series. So I'm like, I'm not gonna go out just three, two, three and outs. So I figure let's call all goes. And I'm telling Duffy, I'm like, just throw it, just throw it no matter what. And I'm in the official's ear who's right there on the sideline. I'm like, watch the PI, it's coming. Get, give me the pass interference. It's coming. It's coming. And he overthrows him by about five yards. And uh that was the end of my play calling career in Tallahassee as it went out. But it was, it was, uh, the success wasn't there. I should have taken into account it was very breezy and you're on the field. Sometimes you get, you know, you get locked into the just the play calls. You don't take in consideration the elements that are there and, uh, didn't put my players in a position to succeed. So I take full ownership of it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to watch the tape. I'm going to reevaluate things. And the next time I get the opportunity, I'm going to do things differently. See, now if Sean McVay goes over like that and, you know, rehashes all the plays he called. We call him a genius and say, wow, it's amazing. He's able to remember all the plays he called. Danny remembered all his play calls. That's it's right. Not that hard. That's right. That's I mean, what a coach we, does. I'm a we decided uh, on Monday show that you're, you're more head coach material. We need, as we put together our cover three coaching staff, I, th- I think that offensive coordinator is still up for debate. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm out, you know, I'm, I'm more on the, you know, special teams culture. Like that's, that's what I want to be. I want to be a rah, rah guy. Like give me the towel on the sideline. That's I'm that, a delegator. Sort of I mean, I played yes. under coach Bowden. I want to be the CEO sits there. You deal with the media, you, you deal with the boosters, you recruit, you know, I'm that guy. I want to, I want to be able to delegate. So I did go up to, uh, cause I told you guys, remember I told you guys going in and said, I want to find out what the players like, right? So AJ Duffy's my uh, quarterback. By the way, it was threes on threes. I should have known the offensive line because if the if you watch Florida State, you see the first team off- offensive line struggle. How do you think the third team offensive line is going to do? So I probably should have known. So I go up to Duffy and I'm like, "Hey man, I'm like, what's your favorite play? Like, give me give me one." He goes, "I like them all." I'm like, "That's not what I want to hear." I'm like, "I want to hear one." And he's like, "No, I like them all." So I'm like, "All right, let's open it up." Um, but yeah, and then I was talking to uh, the quarterback coach on the headset. He was up in the booth. I'm like, all right, man, what, what you like? And he's like, oh, he's like, he he did give me a different play. He wanted to run the naked that we ran the second series, the first series, and it did get positive plays. So I probably should have leaned on him. But again, 
It's that continuity. You got to trust your person, trust your coaching staff to let them do their jobs. And I kind of overpowered him on that when I overruled the decision. Probably should have just leaned on my staff a little bit more. The hype video that Florida State football put out from the game had incredible fan sites, you know, good tailgating. The concert highlights were there. And I got no Danny. I got no none Danny. of it. None of it. There was a nice photo op. They did put out something of like the picture of the four coaches, which was very nice. But yeah, I was a little disappointed there wasn't like me yelling at the offensive line because I did get into him a little bit. Like after we go three and out and four and a turnover on down, I was a little bit irritated. Did you I get Gator the head head you in it? I want to throw the headset, you know, get into it, <laughs> but I couldn't do it to the kids. I couldn't do it. Slamming the clipboard. <laughs> On the bright side, they did give not Gatorade bath, but a Powerade bath to the winning coaches of EJ Manuel and BMAC. So I got to avoid that because, like, there was still a night out. We was going to go to dinner. Like, there was still stuff I had to do. So thankfully, I didn't get the Powerade back. So did, did you bring a change of clothes in anticipation? <laughs> no, I did not. I mean, that, no one expected that. a long that drive a home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it was a long bus ride back to the hotel. Uh, my daughter, I had to make sure she stayed off her phone because we were still, you know, solemn in the car dealing with the loss. But you know what? In all seriousness, though, they did a fantastic job, and it really reminded me because they kind of treated us, the former coaches, almost like the way they treat recruits. And the communication was outstanding. Like, and it sounds like little things, but you kind of realize that football programs are almost in the hospitality business with the way they treat recruits. People come in contact, media contact, you know, people that are coming, families of recruits. Like, I get in, the hotel's dialed in, they're texting me, hey, are you all set? Um, you know, do you know what time to be there? Here's where you have to be, here's your passes. And there's a lot that goes into it. You kind of just, you kind of forget all the ancillary stuff that goes into being a, you know, a football program that's trying to establish themselves as one of the tops in the country. And you got people checking on you. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was impressive what they're doing. And for just a quick two minutes on the on the game itself and the personnel. The last time we were on here, and I, the last time I was in Tallahassee, remember I told you guys, I'm like, man, I'm like I just don't see the studs that are out there. For the first time, I saw a wide receiving core. It has length. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was the first thing I noticed when I go watch Clemson. They look like a basketball team. We got some size on the outside. Jared Verse looks to be the real deal physically. The offensive line I'm still a little bit concerned about. I think they're better than they were before. The running back's pretty deep. Um, the DBs, again, another long group. I think the personnel is starting to catch up. Now, I'm not going out there and saying they look like Bama or Georgia just yet, but I am excited about some of the – some of the dudes that you're starting to see show up on the roster. So I think, I think it's pretty exciting. The other thing I can't understand is I did see, like I had the ACC network on Monday morning and they were talking about the spring game. Thankfully they weren't breaking down the uh, play calls, but they did like, they gave a stat from the game on one of the running backs. I was like, how do they do stats on something that's not a game? Because they started like it really was not a game, and yet like I'm and I'm looking, I'm wondering what other schools. Like I saw Devin Leary through like you know 350 yards and a few touchdowns. I'm like, were they just doing drills the way Florida State was? I know some schools still keep it a game, but it's changed so much. I mean, it is a practice, and that's all it is. So I'm wondering well, where these stats like all spring we get scrimmage stats, and and the only thing that I always put on it is just your like attempts and yards per attempt attempts and you know rushing like how many times did you get the ball and have a chance to make a play i just look at it segmented like that to to try and be like he had 150 rushing yards as like a total number is, is a meaningless stat right and some of those drills they're doing they don't even tackle you know and the quarterbacks are off limits so 
I just think it's like a word of caution when we do buy into those stats. It's all like, like, hey, Charlie Brewer was 15 and 15. Like, maybe we need to be careful with some of those sometimes when we buy into some of the hype. But it was a great weekend. It was great to see a lot of fans of Cover 3 sending us shout-outs there in Tallahassee. So a ton of fun. So uh, you mentioned offensive line uh, and, you know, not looking like Georgia and those guys yet. And we talked about crypto ball uh, and the Miami situation. Uh, Miami and FSU are in a pretty good battle right now for the top uh, uncommitted player in the transfer portal, uh, Marius Mims, who was a five-star offensive lineman in the 2021 class. That's really the first class or the last class rather that didn't get the bag as far as NIL stuff, you know, 2022 Certainly secured the bag. Uh, Georgia has underclassmen starting at both tackle spots. And uh, it's going to be very interesting here. I'm expecting uh, him to visit both Florida State and Miami. Uh, My guess here is timeline-wise because of Miami's spring game, uh, I I think probably Friday night, Saturday night at Miami, probably tonight and tomorrow night at Florida State. That's not announced yet. That's just piecing the thing together. Um, Transfers can take official visits and – I think this will be a really interesting battle here because both teams uh, need an off to tackle pretty badly. And you know, 6'6", 320, a guy who George is not happy to lose uh, is certainly uh, certainly interesting. What's 7-1 wingspan. Yeah. Yeah. What, so he's clearly the guy. What's up with the other one, the other five-star lineman that's been there a little bit longer? Clay Webb. Yeah. Clay Webb, the interior. Clay guy. Webb is not a target for yeah. a lot of schools for some reasons that I'm not – Totally sure on and definitely not sure, like uh, comfortable, you know, commenting on it. But uh, I, yeah, I don't think he's, have we, we didn't make him a five-star in the transfer portal, I assume. I was I, only looking at his recruiting rankings. So we yeah, talk about uh, I, I think that the uh, the interest level he gets is going to be, uh, um, yeah, he's not a five-star for us in the transfer portal. Um, he's going to be way down there. The May 2nd date to enter the portal by... When can they do they have to commit to the new school by May 2nd or do they have more time to do that? Do you just have to be in the portal by May 2nd? Do you, does anybody know? Uh, yeah, I, I think thought it was uh, committed, but I could I be think wrong. You have to be that. in. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think you just have to be in. But in the portal? Yeah. Okay. So you could still be uncommitted in June as long as you're going to be able to get enrolled in time for the fall, ideally. Yeah. Interesting. Going. Going back to more important matters, Danny, you mentioned like the Powerade bath. Is that like a thing in Tallahassee where you can't have you Gatorade? Gatorade? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh. And I kind of even forgot. though they invented they invented Gatorade in Tallahassee, but they didn't call it Gatorade. Uh, and then Florida uh, trademarked it. Yeah. Is that is that like the entire root of the rivalry? It's not really about football. <laughs> it is about athletic drinks. Well, the legislature, which was more Gators, kind of uh, colluded to prevent FSU from having football for quite a long time. And, you know, they were. They could have been like Seminole Aid, is what you're saying. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, the name that they had for it is not really appropriate nowadays, but I'll I'll send you the article. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because they were giving us a tour of the new locker room and they had in the showers, they have like coolers of water and Powerade. And. Jeff, who was like our guy showing us around from the staff, he's like, do you guys want anything to drink? And I said to my daughter, who was with me, I said, do you want a Gatorade? And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm like, Powerade, because they are Powerades there. I was like, oh, yeah. And he was, he was, it was funny, because I had forgot how serious they are about it. On a positive note, in the new locker room, I can report 
that I think you're allowed to walk wherever you want. You don't have to worry about like dodging the logo and like not worrying about stepping on uh, Chief Osceola's head, which I never fully understand. Like I felt like that was a massive wasted space right in the middle of the locker room. Now it's opened up. You can go all over the place and uh, it is pretty solid. So it was good. Good stuff. Yeah, I've always like gone back to old Indiana Jones movies. Like, if you step on the seal, does the whole like earth crack open and you fall down? To, like, no way. Um, all right, so let's let's start to turn our attention towards uh, the the. It's not a bad thing at Texas, but it is very interesting because you now we've looked at Texas after a five and seven season. You know, not the way that the Steve Sarkeesian era wanted to start, and Texas football in general has been for the last decade, this program that has uh, been underachieving based on expectations and based on even some of the talent that has come through there. We've changed over head coaches. The results have been largely the same, including last year. So last Thursday, Texas defensive tackle Moro Ajomo uh, spoke with the media. And uh, I want to read the full quote, and then I've got audio of Steve Sarkeesian's response. And if you've, if you've gotten into this already, you understand that this is really getting at the root of Texas football in terms of all of the, the the negative narratives around why Texas can't be successful. So question is, it seems like when you speak with so much wisdom and the bigger picture in the team, and you said only a couple of guys would get it, does the team listen to that? Or is it, quote, oh, that's Moro, the kooky old guy just talking about yada, yada, yada. And Ajomo responds, again, this is last Thursday. They're 18 to 22-year-olds that want to chase women, want to chase money, want to chase alcohol, and they don't see the future. They're very distracted by what's in front of them, and it's such a hard thing, especially guys that haven't been in a winning culture. That's why it's very easy for a lot of these powerhouses to keep going because it's established. The new guys just come in and they're like, oh, blank, this is how we do it. Oh, blank, this is what we do. It's just so much more difficult. They always talk about coming here and changing stuff, coming here and changing stuff. It's like it's ingrained. You're up to uprooting what? 10 years of blank that's been that's been let go by and by they're more worried about being on 6th street than like balling and making 50 million it's crazy as hell i don't know why so here is and then i'll go ahead and uh, and get to sark's response which by the way also comes with the uh, the news that ajomo is not going to be speaking to the media he has been uh, put on the sidelines we should nil him <laughs> Comments about the team itself. I thought the forum was really poor. Um, he should not have done that in public. Um, a player-led team, a really good player-led team, those issues, and if you have issues when anything, get taken care of in the locker room, get taken care of in the meeting room. Um, if you're really a family, you don't go out and talk about family business. Um, you take care of things internally. So that's the first part. But that's part of us educating these guys on what that looks like and how to do it. Um, I think his intentions were right, but the the delivery and the form that it was used was poor. Um, in the end, you know, you have to make sure to mow your own lawn first, and you got to make sure your own house is in order first before you start to discuss uh, what somebody else is doing or how they're doing it. And I think that, that that was a great lesson for all of our guys to say, hey, you know, you can get in this moment, you get here in front of cameras and media, and you can get caught up in answering a question. You got to understand the form that you're in. And, you know, we'd like to handle our, any issues that we have internally. And that's truly being player led is that when you can approach somebody at their locker, 
when you can, can approach somebody at lunch uh, and making sure your house is in order, that your lawn is, is, is mowed properly, then you, can, then you can start to motivate the next player about what he needs to do to raise his level and raise his play. So, gentlemen, we're mowing lawns. We're eating lunch. We've got older, a veteran member of this Texas team that sure seems fed up with a lot of the laid back being a Texas football player is a good life in Austin, Texas kind of attitude. Now, the more Steve Sarkeesian elaboration and what I have gained from continuing to do research on this is that this really might be only a couple of guys or a group of guys that has gotten under a Jomo skin. But what do we make of this back and forth with uh, with Sark, a Jomo, and a Texas football team that has high expectations for a bounce back season in 2022? I mean, how often have we heard coaches say, hey, like Texas is soft culture. Texas is not focused on football. Um, I don't know that that's always true, but clearly some of the players on this team believe it's true. Uh, Austin's a really fun town. Like you don't have to be good at football to, to enjoy yourself there. I think there's definitely some college towns where when the team loses the next day, there's no Sunday fun day, right? People aren't out brunching. Like they're, they're not, Hey, let's hit the bars afterwards. Like the whole town is depressed. You know, like if, if you lose a ball game, you're, you're not happy. Um, I don't think Austin is that way. Like there's a lot of people in Austin who they like Longhorns, but they're not basing their personal happiness and how their week goes uh, on how Texas goes. So I think all the coaches there uh, have had challenges with this over the years. It's like a really fun place. There's a lot of distractions. There's not like, it's not just Austin. There's plenty of places like that and you have to tame that. Um, But do you air those guys out in public as media? I'm sure we love it. I think it's not a great idea for team culture. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Sark said, it's like he, he said he understands where he's coming from and he agrees with what he's saying about it for a lot of part, but don't say it in public. And like, I, I felt like a lot of people as is typically the case when something like this happens and like the, the quotes get tweeted and this kid's been, you know, stopped from talking to the media. Like a lot of people just kind of start dunking on Sark. But if an Alabama player does this, and Saban would have done the same thing. Saban would have said the same thing. But, of course, Alabama players don't do it because there's a culture established. And Sarkeesian is now in his second season at Texas, a program that, like you know, Budward's talking about. He's had problems for a while with this kind of stuff and kind of establishing a culture in that locker room with so many changes and everything where they know how to win. And I feel like I understand the frustration from a player who's in like his fifth or sixth year who might be looking at some of the guys like come on i'm tired of being seven and six texas i i came here to win games i came here to win big 12 titles this might be my last chance take this crap seriously and he's venting that frustration but vent it to your teammates in the locker room and maybe he has and maybe they weren't listening and maybe he felt like this was the only way to get the message out there but it's it's just not the right way to do it. But like you, like you said, but as media, yeah, no, please keep doing it. Every single player should come out and just throw all their teammates under the bus and trash well, them. <laughs> I thought that Texas fans liked it. Like the, the one thing that I thought was interesting was where it's like, Ajomo has these quotes. Texas fans are like, yes, that's great. It's awesome to know that there's a 
veteran player in that locker room who is angry about the same things that have been frustrating us and then those same Texas fans that were and, and maybe that's an overreaction because it is, you know, throwing a teammate under the bus. And I would agree that that is not a good leadership. Uh, that's not in the books of leadership that are written. But I, I do think that that's where Texas fans are like, wait, and now now you're telling him that now he can't talk anymore. You know, that he was he was saying things that we were actually excited to hear. You know, that kind of back and forth feels like it's another layer of this, too. I'm shocked. I'm surprised you guys aren't more on the side of the player here because like you said, you don't hear it out of Bamba, but Will Anderson Jr. After the Florida game, when they barely squeaked out, he said, we got guys in here who aren't focused on the important things. Now he didn't trash them as much. By so when name. They lost, By when they name. lost to yeah. Texas A&M, when they lost to Texas A&M, he called them out. Hey, we got guys. Football's not the most important thing. I went and looked him up because I was curious because I remembered Anderson and he wasn't he wasn't saying the things like, hey, they're out partying on 6th Street. Like, that's a little bit uh, that's a little bit too much information. And chasing really, women, chasing alcohol. Yeah, is like, yeah. that's yeah. a little bit more um, a little bit more revealing behind the scenes. I can't, this happens at every school. Like it happened at Florida mm-hmm. State while we were winning championships. I mean, it's just college kids. That's what they're going to do, right? They're, they're gonna go out there and players, man. <laughs> Come <laughs> exactly. on. <laughs> exactly. Um, I told you guys in high school before my senior year, we signed a pact. We weren't gonna drink going into our senior year. And guess what? Like October rolls around and you have a game that's close and it's stressful. You're like, oh, let's you just a couple seniors. Let's just keep this between us. You know, let's just not go out there. I did not have a problem with it, though. I was a little bit more on the side of the Texas fans who I think are in large part like good for a player for calling out the culture, good for the player for saying, hey, this is a standard we need to have. It is time to grow up like. At Florida State, you can do that when we were there because we were winning championships and you could we had a balance and we could get away with it. At Texas, clearly, they can't handle it. And it's it is becoming a problem. And even more so, like, I, I'm shocked that Sark like has muted him, has basically canceled like in cancel culture. I don't go there with all, but like he's basically <laughs> said, Nope, you are Damn, not allowed to talk. And I, I wonder what um Ajomo's thinking today. Because one of the phrases he said in there, which I guarantee you is a mantra, a mantra that the coaches say, is player led, coaches fed. So he was probably feeling empowered, like, oh, they want us, they want us to lead. Oh, I'm gonna go out there and lead and I'm gonna call these players out, just like we've seen Nick Saban do and other coaches do. Um, and now I wonder where he's at. Like, man, these these coaches said we could, you know, we they wanted us to lead. I'm trying to lead, and now I'm shut down. I, like I thought, Sark should have just said, "You know what? He was enthusiastic. Maybe took him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a talk with him. We'll handle it in house." Like kind of what he said for the player to do. I think he made it a bigger deal by like pulling him off limits. I don't know. I, I think, but this is to me, if I'm a Texas fan, it's it's been the question of the last since Mac Brown left, and even towards the end of the Mac Brown era, is what is the culture like? Is it an entitlement? Is it you know you just show up and you're in Longhorn and you're supposed to win? It hasn't been working, and I would. This makes me wonder what what is really happening behind closed doors, like, and how much is this still an issue at Texas? You know, I I get so, that, and I get like what you're saying about like Texas fans like being happy that somebody's out there calling out the culture of the locker room and all that kind of stuff and of the program. But 
doing that publicly in a press conference is not good for the culture of your program. Throwing your fellow teammates under the bus like that is not good. That's not going to help the problem. So while I don't blame Ajomo for doing it, and I think his intentions were good, like you're saying, maybe he felt like he was going to take on a leadership role and be more vocal and try to rally the troops and get everybody on the same page. The way he went about it, not the best way to do it. Coaches do that all the time? Yeah, but they're coaches. They're supposed to. That's their job. Like sometimes coaches will do it in the locker room. Sometimes if the message isn't getting through, they'll do it in the media, try to get it through that way. But for players, I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I, I was never in a college locker room. So Danny, you're better off doing this than I am. But like when you're in that locker room and you're in that community, like, if one of your teammates goes and does that at a press conference and is talking about how he's more dedicated to winning than you are, what's your response and reaction to him going to be the next time you see him at practice? As long as he is legit, like as long as he walks it and talks, like, you know, I was saying we had packs and we're out there. If he's that, then those players will not stand him. They'll be like, oh, Sark, phony. Sark kind of intimated that he's not. Mo, you're in law. Right. He said, before you do that, you got to make sure your own house is in order, mow your own lawn. So my guess here is that Sark is not super happy with what he's doing. I, I remember being um, in the Cotton Bowl when I was still doing more FSU stuff, the national stuff, after FSU squeaked by Oklahoma State. And uh, a sophomore named Jalen Ramsey, not by name, but he basically said in so many words, I don't look for the exact quote. I think we put it up as a video. He was like, well... I mean, guys, the the older dudes in my position room just don't really give a damn. They're already thinking about the draft, and it's you know September one. Like the, you could tell, they don't really care about about games. They're not doing everything that you need to do. Uh, and I don't think Jimbo called him out because it was Jalen Ramsey, and Jalen Ramsey talks a lot of smack, but he also works his butt off and is one of the most talented guys like to ever play the cornerback position. Even though he was, you know, a younger player, yeah, at he's that all right. Time. If a Jomo was a stud. And like Sark thought he was a stud. Do you think uh like, no. do you think Sark would have called him out? No. I, I don't, don't either. I also gotta wonder too if there's like something to it where Jomo's not one of Sark's guys. He's he was there before Sark. He didn't, you know, he didn't bring him in. He's not part of his crew. So I wonder if that plays a role in it too, where it's like, whoa, come on, buddy. And doesn't it I mean it's not a great reflection on Sark. No, that's kind of was my no. thought was like he probably doesn't love this being aired out. And I wouldn't either, but I still think you go to the player now and you kind of do what you said he should have done as opposed to like, now you kind of crush the player to the media. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's a mess. It is. And like, especially what transpired in his first year, five win season, you did have the pole assassin thing. You had Bo Davis, you know, going out there on the bus, ripping the players, essentially saying the same what stuff, the, but it was not known. He didn't do it publicly. He didn't know he was being videotaped. The but, players he was ripping made it yeah. public. Yeah. Right. right. There as, is a as problem. opposed to being embarrassed, you know, they were you know, they yeah. were laughing at this guy. It, right? yep. Yeah. I'm, well, anyway, so first of all, uh thank you to all of you that are watching right now. Do, do me a quick favor and go ahead and smash that like button. It helps us grow the show, helps us let more people know about the Cover 3 podcast. Uh I want to finish this Texas segment on a positive note because yeah. Quinn Ewers might be might might be everything that we thought Quinn Ewers could be. And uh, Texas, if Texas does start winning, and remember they did get off to a four and one start last year before they uh, ended up cratering down the stretch, 
But if Texas starts winning, I think it becomes easier for everybody to get on board and everybody to buy in. How sustainable is that? Well, those those could be debates for Texas fans and the Cover Three podcast once we get to the winning part. But uh, but we're we're hearing some some really really good reports from Quinn Ewers. You know the the wide receiver room that we thought could be a lot stronger and a big part of this offense, whether it's Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington. Like we are looking at a Texas offense. If Quinn Ewers does end up being named the starter, um, that could be very, very dynamic and one of the best in the conference. Yes. So that Quinn Ewers uh, per horns 24 seven, which is just like the best Texas site that I, I don't even bother going to other Texas sites. It's, I know it's in our network, but Chip Brown and the hitter Estes and, and Roach and all those guys, they just, and girls, they they really kill it. Uh, they get the they get the media viewing you know, session, and they also because they've been there so long, get all that spring intel. And uh, apparently, Ewers killed it in the scrimmage. I think what, what Chip said on the flagship podcast, uh, which is also on YouTube, go check that out if you're a Texas fan or maybe if you're a Texas hater. Three touchdowns and just threw a bunch of like really impressive bombs from different arm angles, escaped the pocket. And uh, now they're they're still splitting reps, of course, with the ones because May second ain't here yet. But uh, and it's just one scrimmage sample set's small, but it looks like in the scrimmage he's performing to the level of his physical talent that we've all seen in person. That's encouraging. Yeah, I one hundred. So, do you believe like the, the there was a question in the chat uh, earlier where you know do you think that Sark will name a starter coming out of spring? Is the assumption that he will not? keep Hudson card around to be able to start fall camp with both of those players. And then at some point mid mid August, you end up naming a starter. And we presume as of right now, we would bet on yours as the favorite. I, I mean, I would bet on yours as the favorite. I don't know if he'll name a starter. Like I haven't covered Sark like on the, the beat level uh, to know enough, but I do know that I've been working on a special project uh, coming up for cover three and pretty much everybody's like, well, the coach said they're not going to name the starter on the record. But off the record, he told us it was this guy for sure. Uh, so that is very prevalent, like to the point where coaches aren't even hiding it once the cameras turn off. And I'm not saying Sark will do that. That's what I would do if I was Sark. I would continue to tell these kids it, it, it was wide open. I would make things really hard for Quinn Ewers to maybe make sure that everybody else on the roster thinks that they still have a shot and maybe look him, you know, make him look a little bit worse. Um yeah, you got to game the system here if you're a coach. It sucks, but that's kind of what it is. We're still a couple weeks away from that Texas spring game. That'll be on April 23rd, but we've got some big ones coming up this weekend. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Miami, and more. We'll do a quick whip around with some of the things that we are looking for in spring game action this weekend. Next when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, so um, we have no quarterback battles or quarterback debates at Alabama. We have no quarterback battles or no quarterback debates at Ohio State. We have no quarterback battles or quarterback debates at Georgia. Stetson? The Not reigning in my mind, we don't. Reigning national champion Georgia Bulldogs will be on the field. Do you think that we will see anything from a backup Georgia quarterback that will change the way Georgia fans are talking about the position heading into the off season. No, I do. Oh, you do? okay. I do. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that I think Kirby will actually pick somebody over Shetson Bennett because we are think- talking about Kirby here who loves yeah. what he knows and loves what he can trust. However, I will say like, I think there are guys who are more physically talented in that room and I definitely don't think Georgia wants to run out one or two of their quarterbacks to the transfer portal. So if I'm Kirby Smart, I'm rigging this game in spring. I'm letting them split all first-team reps. The job is open. You have to go back and re-earn it. I'm trying to convince at least one of my guys, whether it's Vandergriff or or Carson Beck, to stay on the roster. Because you can tell me how much you love Stetson Bennett, and I'll tell you, hey, you know, bottom three, bottom four, and depth-adjusted accuracy in the SEC plays fine when you have – Maybe the best front seven in the history of the sport, and he got you a ring. He did. Let's see them run it back with that. Now, what's really scary is Stetson Bennett and no depth behind him. So, you know, I, I think I think they're really gonna gonna entertain other guys. Ultimately, my guess is, uh, you know, they'll still pick Stetson Bennett. But I, I bet you they're they're letting a lot of reps be split. You can listen to the dogs twenty four seven junkyard junkyard dogcast that our producer Jordan Maiton produces as well for more on that. Stetson's job. It's Stetson's job. Uh, clearly, it's Stetson's job. Mm-hmm. Like, it's he's not going to bench him in the spring. I think we could have a debate over, you know, how many games does he start this year? He's going to be the week one starter. Like, there's no, there's no scenario, even if he threw five picks in a spring game, that they're going to make a move at the quarterback position. I talked, caught up with uh, Drew Butler, the punter from Georgia, who's pretty connected to the program. And I was asking him about, and he kind of laughed it off. He's like, are you crazy? He's like, the kid just won a national championship. And like he owns the locker room. And I get that. That's why I think he gets the, the game day, you know, week one, Oregon, your starter. I think, it, I think Stetson Bennett has to play himself out of the job. And it would take probably, you know, I want to say one loss, but it might even be two losses. Like, and it depends on how he plays in that game. But I do feel like they're like Bud saying, I mean, having watched these guys on the field, they're clearly more talented. But yet I thought Vandergriff was going to be the guy, and he's not even looks like he might not even be the number two. It's like Carson Beck is kind of taking advantage of the backup competition, which is there. So I don't know. I mean, there is something too about the intangibles, but they did win. And my biggest question about Georgia was could they win? with that defense and a very pedestrian offense? And the answer was yes, but a word of caution, like Alabama, it's not an excuse. You need luck. You need the ball to bounce your way. You have to stay healthy. 
Alabama did not have their top two receivers in the championship game. And if Alabama did, I don't know if going back, Stetson Bennett would have been able to go toe-to-toe like you did in the SEC championship game where we saw he didn't with Bryce Young in a high-scoring game if somebody's able to score on that defense. And I think teams are going to figure out not to like you're not going to see just a porous defense that Georgia's like ranked last in the SEC, but they're not going to have the dominance that they had last year. See, and you you mentioned a point that to me is what's more interesting about the spring game because while we're all talking about Stetson and the quarterback battle, what won Georgia national title last year was its defense. And if you go look at a mock draft on any website, perhaps my latest one on CBSSports.com, and you look at the first round, you see a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball with the word Georgia next to their name. It's a defense that is losing a lot of talent. And of course, we know how well they've recruited and they've replaced guys. I'm more interested in this spring in seeing how that defense is, because whether it's Stetson Bennett, Carson Beck, Vandegrift, whoever, I don't think Georgia is winning another national title in 2022 unless its defense kind of maintains the level of play of where it was at last season because it was a defensive-led team, and it's going to have to be again. So for me, that's what I'm more interested in. I want to see those guys playing, see what we have to work with. And I also hope in that now that Jordan Davis is gone and Devontae Wyatt's gone and Javon Walker's gone, Hoping Jalen Carter finally starts getting the credit he deserves. <laughs> Jalen Carter from Apopka. I remember in the state playoffs down here, they were using him at running back as well. Can you imagine trying to tackle that dude yes! at running back in high school? Yeah. Yes. It's like yeah. Derrick Henry stats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love that. By the um, way, yeah. just in case you guys, and we did our Heisman show, Stetson Bennett, still on the board, right? No one took him with the last selection. <laughs> I almost did. 50 to 1 right now at the book I'm looking at. JT Daniels, who I think is going to West Virginia, we're just finding out, is 25 to 1. <laughs> I, some of these things just, it, it literally is laugh out loud funny. Like, is there a, uh, I don't even want to say it. It's too mean. It's too mean. What? I was going to see if you get odds on whether JT Daniels is playing, you know, is starting quarterback at West Virginia in November, but that's, that's a different bet. A hater. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what odds would you need to take JT Daniels for the Heisman? <laughs> at if he's at West Virginia, triple digits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking like, like, yeah, yeah. Plus, plus ninety thousand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love you, Coca. Go ears. <laughs> um. Okay. So, other bud, you got a you got a crystal ball update you want to drop on us? I well, I, I do. I want to point to this out because we did talk last Wednesday on our recruiting show about the new number one overall player, Dylan Rayola, who is a stud quarterback. Uh, if you guys follow the you know, Nebraska program or the Lions, you may recognize the name Rayola uh, from the NFL for a long time. It is that Rayola family, and he's a five-star quarterback out of Chandler, Arizona. And any guesses where Steve Wilfong just crystal balled him to? It's a place that gets a lot of five-star quarterbacks, and they tend to Ohio see a lot State. of guys to the league. Ohio State, yeah. Yeah, so shocker. All right, so oh, where when yours came from, like where all of these other, yeah. I mean, we could have starting quarterbacks from Ohio State all over the place. There is no uh, super, you know, th- there's not a lot of debate at many of the positions when you look up and down the Ohio State uh, depth chart. They they will be having um, a a portion of the spring game. A, a lot of it they will be honoring the the memory of Dwayne Haskins. It'll be very cool, be very tough uh, for a lot of Ohio State fans as that tragedy uh, continues to 
to touch the entire football community. So when we're looking out, we know that the wide receiver room is absolutely loaded. That we know that the running back, there ain't no debate. That's Travion Henderson. Heck, you might want to take Travion Henderson uh, as your Heisman Trophy pick from the Ohio State team. Where, where do you think? Where's the point of intrigue when you're looking at Ohio State when they take the field um, on Saturday? Defense. Cornerback. Cornerback. Defense. All of defense. Front. All of it. Everything. Defensive line. Because yes. I've heard it hyped up. I, I, I think Bucknuss does a tremendous job. And uh, and they're saying the defensive line is taking a nice step in practice. So I, yeah. I want to see I want to see them give give Ohio State offensive line a little bit of trouble. And I think that's the biggest thing. I have a I wrote something about Ohio State for it's coming out tomorrow, I think. But it's pretty much about like, you know, Jim Knowles has come to take over the defense. And the first thing he needs to improve is an Ohio State pass rush that has not disappeared, but hasn't been anywhere near the level of what it was a few years ago when this is a team that was, you know, sending the Bosa's and Chase Young to the NFL draft and the top five picks. Cause I was just looking, and it's not the best way to completely evaluate the talent level of a defense. But when you looked from like 2016, 2015 to 2019 in that five-year period, like Ohio State had 25 players drafted on the defensive side of the ball. Most of them were first, second, third round picks. A lot were top 10 picks. Last couple of years hasn't really been the same. And if you look at the mock drafts for this year, there's not a whole lot of Ohio State defenders that you could expect to go early in the draft. They've become a very offensive heavy as far as talent. And the one thing that... Jim Knowles was so good at at Oklahoma State where they don't really have anybody drafted to play on the defensive side of the ball, like getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Like Oklahoma State last year was one of the most pressure-heavy teams as far as getting to the QB, both getting in his face and finishing and getting the sacks. Like, and that's something that has been missing from Ohio State. And if you look at their losses the last few years, whether it's the Alabama loss in the title game, Michigan last year, or uh, what was the other loss last year? Whatever the, the other Oregon, but, there we go. Oregon, no pressure. They had in those three losses, they had two sacks. Both of them were in the Alabama title game, but the game was pretty much over by that point. And it's just, it's like they need to fix that because we talk about like when you watch when they lose those games, yeah, there's an Alabama receiver running by a middle linebacker who should not be covering him. And there are other receivers getting by defensive backs. Your defensive backs look a hell of a lot better when they only have to cover for two seconds than they do when they have to cover for four. And they've been having to cover for four seconds far too often in Ohio State. They got pushed around, which is something you shouldn't expect. Like that's it's not only the pass rush, it's just the physicality, the general yeah, and you know, defensive line play all across the board. For the Cal, they were very predictable too. recruiting. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like the scheme with Knowles, I don't know if we'll get a whole lot. You know, they're pretty conservative. Um, so I don't know if you'll get a look at what they're going to be doing next year. But you I mean, think conservative as far as how much they'll show. Yeah. yeah. Conservative. Like, yeah. Okay. Cool. Agreed. Yeah. How much? Because I like, I, I think everybody wants I me. Mean, remember that was a knock on them last year. It was Kerry Combs. Uh, there's only two coverages. It's very vanilla, very bland. I think you'll see a whole lot of that in the spring game, too. But I don't think that's what you're going to get once you get to the season. So. Like you'd love to be able to see, are they going to do more? Are they going to get more exotic? Are they going to bring more, um, you know, blitzes? But I don't think you'll see a ton of that. But I think you need to see an, uh, a defensive line which pressures quarterbacks, shuts down Travion Henderson at least somewhat to show you that they've improved along that defensive side of the ball. 
Yeah, that's the thing too. Like you can be vanilla and predictable on defense in your coverages if you're getting pressure on the quarterback with your front four. But when Ohio State wasn't getting pressure and then they were sticking in those same vanilla kind of schemes, they were getting picked apart. So it's like that's yeah, it'll be that's gonna be the most interesting thing to me for, for Ohio State all season long because we know that they're gonna score a bunch of points, but when they have to play another elite team, are they gonna be able to get the stops that they just have not been able to get the last few years? So you wrote this piece, Tom. I'll, I'll throw it back to you first. I look at the personnel of the defensive line, and I see a group that could be rotating six or seven deep and that maybe being able to get more success at that uh, at the point of attack, being able to get more success, getting pressure on the quarterback, it might just be from having fresher bodies because mm-hmm. the, the names, at least in terms of blue-chip prospects along the defensive line, you're going to – like Zach Harrison is probably not a starter, but yet we know that Zach Harrison – projection-wise, was somebody that we thought was going to be next in line with the Boses and the Youngs. Um, I don't know. I just it, That group, I feel like, could be tremendous, uh, even without needing big scheme or coaching changes, if they live up to that reputation. Yeah, there's, there's far too much talent that they have in that room on that roster for them to be as ineffective as they were. I mean, they had good games against teams that they were kind of just able to overwhelm with their talent. But when they came up against other like good offensive lines, they were just like Danny was saying, they got pushed around a lot. And I feel like they need to be a little uh, sturdier. And the, op- I guess the Ohio is a nice State offensive line is tremendous. The Ohio State offensive line is awesome. Like this, it, it will be, be. But there's a lot of changes on there too, so that's going to be interesting to watch as well. Um. But real quick, we we've got uh, JT Daniels to West Virginia is official. JT Daniels headed to West Virginia. Uh, now that you know we have hyped it up with so much excitement, saying that we would need a hundred to one odds to uh, to make it as a Heisman bet. Uh, thoughts on the move and what it means for Neil Brown's offense? I think it's I think it's convenient of Danny to leave. After After breaks the news. <laughs> so, um. West Virginia has had a really hard offseason as far as losing guys to the portal. You know, I, I think Neil Brown is is a pretty good coach. Uh, I don't want to get us downvoted again. You, you guys know my thoughts on West Virginia as a program. They took the check. They're going to take the L's. Going to the Big 12 kind of killed their recruiting. Uh, but J.J. Daniels, I think, is is a worth a bet, right? I mean, he's been limited by injury, can't stay healthy, but occasionally guys who had five-star talent all of a sudden – get healthy, get it together. Uh, I think back to like Jalen Phillips, you know, he was our number one overall player in 2016, put together like one good year. Finally, after staying healthy, he had some other issues too, and, and gets drafted high and is now in the NFL. So I, I hope JTD goes there and succeeds. It's hard for me to think he'd be a downgrade from, mm-hmm. uh, from what they have. I was hoping he was going to go to another school that I'm not going to note because we're saving some of our best bet stuff. But if he'd gone to this other school, I was really going to bet that team to win their conference. So um, not really because of him, just because I think it would solidify a position. But I'm excited. Yeah, I, I hope he does well because like when you saw him early in his career at USC, there were definitely the flashes of why he was such a highly rated recruit. And, you know, when you talk to people that have been around him, like nobody really has a bad thing to say about him. That's just he's been unlucky. He's gotten hurt. He's had a hard time staying healthy, but they all think he's talented. So hopefully this is the year where he's able to get on the field, stay on the field and perform to a level that we kind of expected from him coming out of high school. And I think it would be good for West Virginia. I know it would make Coca a little less miserable 
if JT Daniels is playing well. And I think that's better for everybody involved with this show instead of having to deal with him like moaning all the time. Have we discussed uh, Koki? Have we uh, have we talked to Koki yet about this? Like, like Jordan's producing today. We, we got we got to talk to Koki on the group chat. Well, I guarantee Max, you that Koki's first response, and when you tell him, will be like, "Oh, he's gonna suck." <laughs> Max in the chat. Uh, Max in the chat points out West Virginia hasn't started a quarterback they've recruited out of high school in like a decade. Yeah, so Jared Agee like- transfer from Texas Tech. Uh, will Greer transfer from Florida? I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as an Illinois fan, I can relate to that because they haven't had a recruited QB starting for them since Shieldhouse, who's now at Iowa State as an assistant. We're Oof. blowing up this man on his day off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, real quick, let's. Uh, we, we've got Alabama, we've got Miami. Uh, what are we looking for? What are we expecting? What's on your radar for those two games or any others on Saturday? Well, uh, Tom. Illinois plays a Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'm looking I mean, that, forward to seeing really Tommy DeVito numbers. balling out. Tommy DeVito is going to light the world on fire. Get ready. Oh, Coca, you want to jump in? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Go. Big 12 <laughs> title. Here we come. How many wins, Matt? How many wins is JT Daniels worth? Have we even seen him play? Like, do we even know? Do we even know what he's about? Like, what's he going to bring? I don't even know if he's any better than anything we've ever had. But because of the fact he's a former five star, I'm just going to say that forever. Neil Brown got a former five star quarterback to join the program. Uh, Extension buys, coming. Yeah, that buys him. That buys him one season. That's it. it buys him one extra season. I am back to trusting the clock. Bowl game. Yeah. First game of the season. We play Pitt. If he wins that Ooh. game against Pitt, JT Daniels is is the greatest quarterback since Geno Smith. <laughs> so uh fun fact, Pitt returns, I think, all five of their DBs who had at least 400 snaps last year. So uh Pat Narduzzi might be mad scientisting this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's gonna be interesting. But the good news is Narduzzi Narduzzi doesn't have a whole lot of JT Daniels tape to work with. So, you know. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm one of these Bigfoot truthers, right? Like I, I saw the kid in high school. I'm like, guys, trust me. I've seen this dude. I'm like, yeah, sure. sure, sure. I saw him yeah. for a couple games. So funny. Um, yeah, I'll be, I will be interested to see down at Miami. You now, what does the, the what we're not going to get anything out of Josh Gaddis, but still just get to see how, how they're using the personnel, how we're, we've got the the changeover. Defensively, they're talented, but uh, I don't think that Kevin Steele is going to show us much either. But, you know, this is a, a lot on Mario Cristobal in terms of uh, being kind of a showcase moment uh, as they as they play that game in the home of Inter-Miami. I, <laughs> so they're playing right by the office. Okay. Um, by the but, airport, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I think the one thing too, like that's interesting to me. And like you said, we're not probably not going to see it because they're not going to show too much in the spring game, but I'm going to be following like Gaddis's offense at Miami. How similar does it look to what we saw at Michigan? Because I feel like, you know, I want to see how much like actual play calling kind of room he was given there, because I felt like Michigan's offense changed a little bit this year compared to what we'd seen the last few years. I want to see because Miami's down a couple tight ends, right? Um, so is Florida, by the way. So um, they can't run Michigan's offense. <laughs> well, right. I want to see uh, how do they look? How, how do they chuck it around? Uh, um, 
Van Dyke is one of those really interesting players to me this year because I feel like if he's actually as good as he showed down the stretch, you know, Miami really could have something here. They have a very manageable schedule aside from having to go to Texas A&M. And, and ultimately, like, if A&M doesn't get its passing game together, that's not an automatic loss by any stretch, it, in my opinion at least. Uh, but I, I want to see as he continuing to build on it. How do they replace Charleston Rambo is another one. Like, who steps up? They got a lot of names, I know, but there's not one guy to me through this point who's super obvious. I, I, you know, I listen to Inside the U. They do a great job there on both on the site and they're through the Smoke podcast. And uh, I, I think they've had a variety of guys trying to seize that job. But, you know, down the stretch, they played – Miami played some really um, – some pass defenses that were pretty sketchy, ultimately. Right. I mean, they played when when Van Dyke went in Central Connecticut, UVA, which was horrendous pass defense, UNC, which, again, outside the top 100. NC State was better against the run than the pass. And that was the game where both their linebackers went down. Right. Mm-hmm. Pitt, he put up 38 on Pitt. Pitt was a damn good defense. You got to give him credit for that. That's probably the most encouraging data point. Georgia Tech was a disaster. Florida State had a better run defense than pass defense. Um Vatek towards the end of the year, obviously a, a mess. And then Duke, one of the worst ACC teams we've seen since like last decade, Duke. So I believe in Tyler Van Dyke physical skills. I want to see continued uh, improvement by him in terms of reading defenses, ma- ma- making the you know, making the right decision and uh, and see how he moves in the pocket. So um, I don't know, like I'm pretty sold on him, but there's a little kind of lingering doubt. Like, eh, I don't know. They did catch the schedule kind of the right way down the stretch. I want the hype. Give me yeah. all of the hype. I'm you, just going to keep introducing him. Did you take this draft or did Tom? I'll keep introducing him as the offensive rookie of the year. You know, he's a, the best offensive rookie in the ACC. Dude's a stud. Let's yeah. go. Fire it up. You know, you know who else was? Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Championship. True. Here it's coming. Facts. Find the lie. I, I also want a Jameer Gibbs touchdown. I want, I want a Jameer Gibbs angle route, catch and run, touchdown. Give it to me, Alabama. I think that at Alabama, uh, it'll be all about the pass catchers, you know, with losing Jameson Williams, John Mechie, Ajay Hall into the portal. You know, Ja'Cory Brooks is the only wide receiver with a start for Alabama. You know, Jermaine Burton will be there, but the the passing attack in general, definitely something of interest for me with the with the Crimson Tide. Yes. Another thing here, so our, our Jody Demling at Louisville uh, reported that Tyler Harrell, and Tyler Harrell, not huge stats so far in his career, but last year he did go 18 catches for 523, which is a 29.1 average. Louisville used him more down the stretch when healthy. One of the absolute fastest guys in all of college football. Uh, Jody said that, you know, obviously the kid hit the portal, and uh, he has three sources who say that Alabama is the likely destination. So Bama may be picking up their fifth guy in the transfer portal who would be like a Jalen Waddle-type uh, clone. Not talent-wise, but as far as use. <laughs> Nick looked at his wide receiver room and said, I don't like anybody. Oh, okay. no, let's, 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 let's get I, new bodies in here. I, I don't like this wide receiver room, all right? I got to get I, one. Gonna go, we gonna, I'm, I told, I told Miss Terry we're going to go, and we're going we're gonna to get new wide receivers, all right? Uh, be sure to tune into uh, all the spring game action from across the country. We will be back 
tomorrow with a mailbag episode. As always, if you want to add a question to the mailbag episode, give us a five-star review. In that review, put your question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. And if you come hang out and watch with us live and we hit a certain number of likes or live viewers then we will take live audience questions at the end of the mailbag question at the end of the mailbag episode as well. So uh, submit it with a five-star review and, or come hang out, watch live, smash the like button. When you do that, uh, we'll take some live audience questions at the end of the next mailbag episode. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.